Hello, I'm Christian Horner of the Red Bull team. I'm officially protesting about this podcast, as I believe parts of it were secretly tested earlier this week. <laughs> it's not fair. Hello, welcome to a very exciting Gareth Jones on Speed. We've got some exciting news about the show a little later. We've got a very exciting car parked outside, and I've just enjoyed a very exciting Monaco Grand Prix in the company of Zog and Richard. Say hello, fellas. Hi, fellas. Hello. That wasn't bad for Monaco, which can be a snorefest, Richard, can't it? Mm, yes, it can. But that was all right. Stuff happened, and the- it was still sort of happening towards the end, so can't really complain. The best I mean, I always find it a thrill just to see the drivers lap after lap threading the car through the eye of the needle that is that track. But it's true, we had some good passing and great little battles there between Weber and Hamilton. Hamilton never actually managed to jump him, but you felt that he was going to do it a lap after that. Congratulations, we should say, to Nico Rosberg, first son of a Monaco winner to win Monaco himself. Congratulations to the AMG Mercedes team who seem to have got it together at the moment in terms of understanding tyres. However, at the point at which we record this show, there's an official protest in because it's reckoned it's outside of the sporting regulations for the Mercedes team to have done some tyre testing with Pirelli. They did thousand kilometres recently so it's not just a quick test that's a fairly comprehensive analysis is it unfair do you guys understand what's happened here it would seem very harsh if mercedes had that win taken away from them on account of this tyre testing thing because first thing i think it's fantastic that nico got that victory could see how much it meant to him and how happy he was and monaco is always the race that you probably want to win more than any other on the calendar yeah. and for Mercedes to take that is a good marker for how far they've come but, but the thing is as I understand it Pirelli initiated this test it was their request they could have asked any team and they asked Mercedes to do this test yeah. and if Mercedes lose out on account of something that Pirelli had asked them to do and I'm assuming Mercedes had no idea that they might get in trouble or get their wrists slapped for it otherwise they'd obviously have told the other teams I I the FIA said it was alright though it's well, fine because well, it comes yeah, outside of the it... testing ban and I presume that Pirelli went to Mercedes because they're the worst case scenario because they're one of the front running teams they're having the most miserable time with the tyres. Their cars basically crap on those tyres and yeah. qualifies well and then goes to pieces in the race, as we've seen in previous races. Better today on a different sort of circuit, but possibly also better today because of a 1,000 kilometres of testing, which I suppose is what Red Bull and Ferrari are all up in arms I mean, about. Yeah. I think Red Bull are upset because <laughs> they weren't approached by Pirelli because it was Red Bull who said, oh, no, we need to change the construction to the side wall of the tyres. you know." And so perhaps that's why Pirelli couldn't go to Red Bull for this test because Red Bull had shown... It would look like they were pulling the strings. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the other team's protest has a leg or indeed a tyre to stand on on this occasion because it was sort of officially sanctioned. It was requested by the tyre supply and there's a line in their contract apparently that says no testing unless it is requested by the tyre supplier, in which case all bets are off. Yeah, as I understand. So that's it for me. That's the end of that. Plus, it's kind of funny that Ferrari are complaining because do you remember a few years ago when Bridgestone was supplying tyres 
Ferrari helped write the spec of that yeah, tyre themselves. So absolutely. they've benefited in the past. Now it's someone else's turn. You've got to look at Formula One as like the great story, not just on a race by race or a session by session, but you know the overall story arc, which means that Williams are due for a win in another 20 years or something like that. What's the car Pirelli used for developing the car? Toyo- remind me. It's uh, an old Toyota it, chassis. It was a Toyota, but I think th- it's something else now, isn't it? Was it the it? HRT, quite possibly? Or did they, yeah, did they buy that chassis? But I think, think for the time being, they've just been using an old Toyota or something yeah, like that. Yeah. It's not a new car no. or anything close. I did read somebody a couple of weeks ago saying, well, it would help Pirelli, certainly, yeah. if they had access to a, a current, current car. car. I mean, I had no idea. there are differences. Yeah. And so this, presumably, is them enacting that very desire to yeah. get some data in controlled circumstances. It's not a race about what the current cars do to their tyres, particularly Mercedes, which seems to do terrible things to them very quickly. Yeah, and you have to have a bit of sympathy for Pirelli and the criticism they're getting because essentially they were asked to make tyres that mm. would mm. go off a bit quicker and wouldn't last so long. They may have gone a bit too far because too much of the time we're seeing that drivers are not able to push as much as we would like to see them push and fight as hard as we'd like to see them fight. Yeah, but if I was Pirelli's marketing man, I'd be sitting there all the time with my head in my hands just going, oh, mm. God, not again. Because I know that they were asked to make those tyres like that mm. and... We also know that Formula One tyres bear very little relationship to the tyres that we put on our cars because yeah. tyres we put on our cars are treaded and they have to last for. Yeah, designed to last miles. thousands of hours, not designed to last, you know, 20 but laps. Or, you know. That's because we know about these things. The more casual observer who just go, oh, what, Pirelli? What, you know, they're in quick fit and they go, well, we're going to put some Pirellis on your car. Oh, hang on, are they the people in Formula One? Because I'm always hearing about how Formula One tyres are rubbish. They keep wearing out really fast. And, no, 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 I don't. I'll have someone else, please. You know, it's that kind of thing that could happen. And I, so they've been asked to do that, but I bet they're regretting ever getting involved if this but, is the case. But this is an interesting question, and I really don't know the answer to this. Is the fact that Pirelli's name is just in there in the media more frequently giving them a benefit because people who aren't interested in F1 just see the name cropping up over and over and they think, oh, well, they're supplying F1 tyres, they've mm. got to be good. And the people that are following it a bit more closely and are actually getting into the detail of the fact that you know the tyres aren't lasting long enough are perhaps people who have more of an idea that, well, they're not supposed to last very long, they're race tyres, not road tyres. Mm. I think you can apply the boy band rule to this. You don't know the boy band rule, right? Every now and again, a boy band emerges, bear with me on this, that are known to an audience other than teenage girls. They become so popular that they break out of the confines of speciality. Yeah. And if you go into Quick Fit now, there'll be posters on the wall of Pirelli Formula One tyre supplier in 2013. Now, the people who go into Quick Fit to buy their tyres are people who just want a cheap tyre and then choose the brand when they get there. Mm-hmm. The likes of us, we're going, oh, mm, I think the Continental's probably good because it worked rather well on the safety car. Yeah, we go, oh, I want to make sure I get OEM. Yeah. OEM yeah. tyres is always the thing, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Original equipment manufacturer. Oh, you go and, and read your reviews and you go, oh, actually, yeah, that's yeah. Like, that, that Toyo's a really good value. Well, my, my colleagues at Evo magazine do do tyre tests and when they don't do one for a while, they're forever being asked to do more. It's something that people who are interested in cars mm. are very interested in. Makes a big difference. Yeah. And they are hugely yeah. important, and they yeah. can change the characteristics of a car to and a I quite think, staggering degree. But yes, we would do our homework, whereas you're right. Someone who's not really that interested in cars or tyres, and let's be honest, they're not that interesting, would just go into a quick fit, see the poster of the boy band on the wall, and I'll say, I'll have some of those, please. Oh, good afternoon, I'm looking for some new tyres for my car. Yes, certainly, sir. Did you have any make in mind? Well, I've always trusted the Beatles' tyres. 
Very smart. You can hear all the words. <laughs> oh, sorry, sir. We haven't done the Beatles for years. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, I remember my nephew talking about an excellent range of tyres recently. What were they called? Aha! You got those? Blimey, no. We ain't stopped those for 25 years, sir. If you look at this poster, you might be interested in these. Our new One Direction tyres. Oh, dear, no, that's nothing. It's all I would need to go in several directions. That's not going to do. Do you have anything else? Well, um, I did just find these in the back. There's some old stock called Wham tyres. These particular ones are in a spec called R16 George Michael. How do they perform? Well, mostly pretty good. Um, I just wouldn't try and use them on the M1. Step petrol! We got a Jones on speed! probably tell from the sound of the children playing in the background and the wind over this microphone that we've come outside for the next bit of this episode because Richard has turned up with a rather attractive car for us to discuss. Go on, you tell him which one it is. This is the Jaguar F-Type V6S. Oh, it's the S version. It's the S. So this is what, it seems rather stupid to say it, but this is the mid-range model. There's a a V6 without the S, which has the same engine. It's still a supercharged V6, but then there's the S, which has a little more power. And then you've got your V8S, which I gather is utterly nutty. What Uh, do we know about this engine? Was this new for the F-Type, or was this in previous uh, Jags? No, it's just been put into the XJ and the XF, but only for the US and China and places like that where they prefer a petrol engine, so it's sort of more efficient. It replaces the normally aspirated V8, so it's 3-litre V6 with a supercharger on it. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's related to the V8, but only very loosely, and it's basically a new engine, and it's pretty good. It's grunty, and it makes a nice noise, but we'll get on to that in a minute. I want to make you both go, ooh. Go on, And I'm going to do it by, first of all, walking up to the car. Come with, and I'll right, show you. Right, we're going. Oh, it's keyless, this one, so... Keys in my pocket. Yeah. This is how you unlock it. A little button here on the flush door handle. If you've ever seen an Aston Martin door handle, you'll know the same sort of thing. It's flush to the bodywork. It's a little sort of lozenge inset into the metal. Aluminium, in fact, in this yeah, case, because yeah, yeah. car's all alley. So, I push the button. Nice. <laughs> nice. We mentioned this when we were at Paris. Yeah, the door handle emerges out of the door like a wedge just by touching a little button on it. That's neat, isn't it? Right, and that's what I discovered because I was a bit baffled as to how to lock it in a keyless way. But in fact, all you do to lock it is just push that thing in again. And that's locked. And that's locked. It's all secure. If you want to alarm it as well, you do that. Oh, well, you should do, do that. that. Anyway, that's opened it up. Touch the button again. You mentioned new. This guy's not so new to me because I had a climb over one with you at Paris. But yes, Zog, you've never seen one in the flesh before. No, and I have to say, I went ooh when I saw it. I was walking up the house earlier. Because <laughs> I didn't know you had this this week. And uh, it is a cracking looking car. Favourite uh, bit? It's a beautiful looking front end. The lines on the bonnet and the little grills through which you can see supercharged. I don't just notice deep. that. In the past, on the supercharged XF and I think on the XK as well, the grill on the bonnet that is apparently functional and lets heat out from the supercharger. It's the grill itself on the outside has supercharger written on it. Not this one. It's just the grill. But when you look through it, on top of the engine, you can see the supercharger badges on the engine itself. Striptease. It's nice. It is nice. Now, one also, question. Sorry, oh, just, just, just while we're still on the grills, when you're sitting in traffic, you can see a faint heat haze coming up through them. Oh. And, <laughs> and that's nice. It just makes you think, mm, yes, there's yeah. a thing under there. There's a Do world you- of a difference between seeing a car 
on a stand at a motor show and seeing it, in my case, parked outside my house, you know, on the street. They but, always look better parked outside your house, don't they? <laughs> but, uh, but it's worth saying that this is the convertible. Yep. And as modern convertible roofs tend to be it's a lot more elegant and better looking than they have tended to be in the past but I'm wondering what it looks like with the top down because I, th- okay. I, I think you should go on show us now in order to do this I think you can do it with the engine off but I think I might as well start the engine Gareth if you would like to position yourself yes. near, now this being the V6 is one way if, you, if you're following an F-type and you want to know whether it's a V6 or a V8 the V6 has two pipes in the middle yep. the V8 has quad pipes two either side a little spotter's badge thing for you there. So this being these <laughs> six, two massive pipes in the middle, and they're quite noisy. I'll go and start it up. Okay, I'll position myself in an appropriate position with the microphone. Pray silence, please, for the Jag F-Type S. It says popple. It says popple. Popple? Popple. Does it? It said, and the roof's coming off. The roof's off. The car say public. Go blip the throttle then. Go on, go on. Oh! oh. I just saw something. Again, go on. <laughs> it does sound sweet, doesn't it? The most wonderful bit of drama. When you opened the hood, Richard, yeah. there are two little, almost Thunderbird 2 flaps oh, which yeah, open at the yeah, side. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of convertibles now do that and the hood goes down pretty quickly and I suppose the mechanism has to be covered up because they want it to look neat when it's retracted so you get to hear that look it's got now it's, it's sort of done its little warm up thing and now it's just dropped to an almost all that was automatic wasn't it can I also just show you now uh, there's a few little things in this yeah. car the design is terrific because it's full of little details that make you smile you'll notice the engine start button and the gear shift paddles on the wheel are gold as is the trim on this switch that I call that dynamic. copper coloured and it's inspired uh, yeah. by the Eurofighter Apparently or something, Apparently so, isn't it? yeah. Some of the more important controls in the Eurofighter are gold, because it's an easy colour to see in a hurry. Obviously, it's a bit of a gimmick in here, but it's a nice gimmick. No one else has done it, so it's sort of something that makes it feel a bit special. This central vent here, it rises up from the dash when you switch the car on. Oh, see, but that's Jag Theatre again. Well, it is, yeah. Now, the only thing is, it's, uh, you can have it in active mode, where it then closes itself as you go along when it doesn't feel the need to push air through here, and then when it does, it rises up again. It becomes a bit distracting, even though it moves up and down almost completely silently. Uh-huh. I still find it distracting, so you can just set it to be always up while you're driving Let along. me just explain. You've got two air vents on the centre of the dashboard, which rise periscope-like out of the dash mm-hmm. when required. Yeah. That's just good. And then you've got all this stuff here that the switch is on the centre. These turn wheels for the air conditioning, and then you push them in, and that gives you a heated seat control. And it's all it's sort of rubberized, and it's all, yeah, it is. It's just, it's nicely done. There's, there's a lot of good detail in here, and it feels like they put a bit of effort in. Yeah. I, I think they put a lot of effort into this interior. I mean, I'm very taken by this, I have to say. I mean, there are a couple of other things I'd just pick out here as slightly more than details, but there's a handle. I guess we could call it a grab, a grab handle, Panic handle that is immediately to the left of the gear selector for uh, passengers to hang on to for dear life. Well, but you know, it's positioned for the driver's left hand or passenger's right hand. It almost helps to give a bit more of a sort of cockpit feel. So your yeah. mention of the Eurofighter thing is interesting because it creates 
a bit more of a sort of driver's space, if you like. I don't think I've seen that before. Let's like have a look around the car. We've, we've talked about the interior. Let's just talk about the exterior. I know Zog likes the fluting on the bonnet and all that. And the fact that this grille, that's not trying to be an E-type. It's not trying to be an XJ. It's its own thing. It's another nice detail while we're here at the front. The headlight sort of look like camera lenses. And they've got a little bit of writing with Jaguar and stuff around mm. there. So again, it's just they put a bit of work in, which is good. Little detail. It's like you might get on a very expensive watch, the name of the brand written around the bezel. It's written around the inside of the headlamps. That's neat. My favourite part of this car is the rear end. It's got this lovely, edgy, almost Bertoni sort of flat, edgy quality where the flip-up spoiler is. That's the best bit on this car. Mm, I like the back view as well. Reminds me of the XJ220, if anything. How does it? I think it's a bit more like the XJ13, if you remember that. Yes, sort of very yes. Sort of tapering tail, and this the way that it kicks up from underneath and then sort of droops down a little bit from above, and it just, just comes to this point. It's lovely. I have only had this car for a couple of days, and I haven't driven it much. I have to say, I started off with it. I thought the ride was too hard. I still think the ride is probably too hard. Do you want me to show you the boot? Yeah. Now, I'm prepared to make you go, Ugh. Okay, the here boot we go. The is boot. ridiculously small. I know that sounds tediously practical in a sports car, but the truth is, in a lot of sports oh, cars, it is dinky. You want to go away for the weekend, yeah, and stuff like that. And if you have a space saver tire rather than that inflation kit, you lose all that that little well as well. It's it's an idiotically small boot. You that that well is big enough for several laptops, I would say, but the shallow. But you wouldn't get a set of golf clubs in there, would you? So no, this isn't a golf. Do you care about that? That's a good thing. That's a great thing. But then when I wanted to go away for the weekend, I'd find that a bit annoying. It's I think minor but at the same time it's actually not a minor point it's quite annoying anyway I'm not going away for the weekend and I am going to go and drive it some more but the more I've driven it the more I like the noise I think if you put it in dynamic mode and the response is terrific it's certainly a quick car and it's got this short wheelbase so it feels very darty and nimble Mm -hmm. even though it also sort of feels quite heavy on the road in a good way I mean, it just sort of feels planted. It's not a Cayman, though, is it? But it does look... But it also... I mean, it looks quite compact. So what it feels? It feels dense. It feels like it's sort of pure, solid, concentrated sports car. But every time you were a bit annoyed by the boot, I think you should just sort of walk 20 paces away, turn around and look at it. Yeah. And you'd probably be all right again. All right, let's go over here. 20 paces. 10 will do. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10... Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's yeah. lovely. Yeah, yeah. It's very pretty, isn't it? Do you get a lot of lipstick marks, people kissing that car? <laughs> <laughs> Not so far, but then I have been driving as briskly as the law will allow. Do you want me to make my door handles go in again? From what, over from here? over here? Yeah, look, I'll just lock it. Look at that. Oh, there they go. Theatre. Actually, you know, now that I'm looking at rear right, that rear three-quarter view is looking pretty good. The way that those rear haunches with, yeah, the, haunchy, uh, with, the, with the roof down, you notice them a lot more now the only thing about it the other thing that I think has been quite contentious and I know from somebody within Jaguar was contentious even within the company is the price you know that's basically an 80 grand car which is a lot because I think some people look at it and they go well isn't that just a rival for the Porsche Boxster or even the Mercedes SLK and it's not because it is quicker than those cars but it's a two seat sports car so I think people automatically assume it however my wife has this freakish sort of rainman ability to guess the price of any car and guess it correctly. <laughs> I'm starting to think she's cheating. Because any given car that I borrow, she'll go, how much is this? And I'll go, go and guess it. She'll go, is it? And then she'll guess to within... So we got in that and she went, how much is this? And I went, go and guess it. She went, it's... And I thought she's going to say 50,000 or 40,000 even, no, boxster money. Yeah. And she said, is it 79,000 pounds? I was like, well, yeah, it pretty much is, actually. Why yeah. did you think that? And she went... 
don't know. It's a nice car, isn't it? And I, yeah, but it wouldn't. You know, it's Porsche box. And she went, "Oh, I'd have one of these over a box. This feels like a nicer car." Yeah, but you, so you know, maybe they're not wrong. They seem to have sold loads of them already, according to Jag. They're saying their order books full. La la la. So maybe the pricing's right, and they're making a load of money on it as well, which but, more past their elbow means they can do more nice cars like yeah. that. But Richard, you are forgetting something. That your wife's maiden name was Glass. <laughs> Come in. Oh, Mr. Periwimple, good evening. Good evening, Dalliard. How can I help you, Mr. Periwimple? Well, Dalliard, it's about the prices of our new F-type. There's no easy way to say this, Dalliard. They're too barely steep. What are you accounts chaps playing at? Well, Mr. Periwimple, we took a look at all the numbers and so on, and we added them up, and we arrived at a number, and on top of that, we added something we're calling a profit. A what? A profit? What kind of dash jolly foreign nonsense is this? Well, sir, it's a sum of money over and above the costs involved in developing and making the car, which enables the company to remain solvent and to reinvest in research and development of future models. Bothercock! I've never heard such nonsense. A profit? That simply isn't the Jaguar way. Now come outside and help me drag in this tree in order to make some new interior trim. Um, Mr. Berrywimple... Do you know what year this is? Of course I do. It's 1957. That's a 24-hour clock. Well, piff and tittle-tash. Bleh. Gareth Jones on speed. A few things I want to talk about before we wrap this show. The first one is, have you two seen the Formula E car... That was released a couple of weeks ago. Have you seen the picture of it, that silver thing? No. No, actually. Yeah, in that case, they need to improve their PR department, Formula E, because if people like us who really care about cars aren't seeing this, they're missing a trick. Let me tell you about the car. The original car that we saw for Formula E was an F3 car, which had relatively crudely had some batteries slung in it and an electric motor where the IC engine used to be. And it looked all right. But it looked like a Formula 3 car, which, as we all know, is not as dramatic as an F1 car. What they've done now, Renault have come on board as partners because of their big connection with Nissan and the electric car range that Renault and Nissan are offering. You know, Formula E has become very exciting for them. And they've released this picture of a car, which was an F3 car, but it's been properly tweaked. First of all, the whole thing is that sort of chrome colour that the McLarens are at the moment. And it's got these extra aerodynamic sort of sweepy back things going on. It looks, believe it or not, a little bit like the A1 GP car used to. You know, that kind of been blown by the wind look. And they're talking about running in the winter season. So Formula E would start in October and run through till March starting from 2014. So it looks like A1GP is back, but this time it's electric. Hooray for that. Question, what is the deal with in-race recharging or topping up or whatever? Answer, they're going to have two cars. Seriously? Yeah. A 40-minute race, but 20 minutes into the race, the car comes into the pit stop, the driver gets out of the car and gets into a second car and drives off. Now, I think that is the biggest flaw in Formula E, which I'm really all for. Hmm. But I think the message this sends out, much is the same way that Pirelli's message is, our tyres don't last, the message here is, 
we can't build Recharging a car is impractical. A, yeah. and we can't build a car that will do more than half a race you're going to need to buy two cars in future <laughs> I think it's a flaw one of the reasons I was wondering about that was that I just read that the project Better Place the battery swap operation the uh, Renault company the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. tied up with, with Renault and Nissan that they're having financial difficulties and may not be around for much longer oh. um, and I wasn't sure if there was maybe uh, the cash cl- in that has gone clearly it's this, a good maybe. thing that well, well, as I understood it, Renault and Nissan were using Better Place technology, but I don't think they'd invested in them as such, had they? They hadn't bought them. I don't it know. Wasn't a, it's still an independent operation, I believe. But I was thinking that clearly if they were planning to use that Better Place battery swap tech mm. or a variation of it, you know, clearly that wasn't really going anywhere. But they're not, so that's good. But, yeah, two cars doesn't sound like not a good right, idea. Is it? It's I, inelegant, isn't it? Yeah. I saw one of those Renault Fluences, which have the battery swap technology, driving through the West End the other day. There's a place out at Heathrow, which has a completely automated battery swap thing, where you drive in, robots come out from underneath the pit, yeah. remove the batteries from your car, wash your car. Yes, what, whilst the electricity is on. That's what worries me. Zooming about the place. I'm sure it's not, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's still to me, getting water in your contacts is you don't a terrible want that, thing. No. So it's Voltage, not a big deal, though. You're all right, yeah. yeah long it's not yeah. Yeah. But, but rusting your contacts, like you used to get in... Negative lead corrosion. Uh, cars and things, yeah. yeah I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, so there's moves there. So keep an eye on Formula E. I was just thinking, picking up that point about, in alternatives, the sort of water and electricity thing. I'm just thinking, if you're doing any kind of battery swap technology, given the resistance to corrosion is a bit of a priority for anything you're going to put on a car that's going to run in anywhere in Northern Europe. Mm. I'd be pretty confident they should They've be on top of that. They, I think they probably thought Well, now you they, say that, but of course, I mean, you know, we they, are talking about Renault. I mean, <laughs> you'd like to say that if they're selling cars to people who have families and have kids in the back, that they would have thought to allow all the trim to remain attached to the car. But <laughs> from the experiences of friends of mine who've had Renaults, that's not always the case. Oh. Uh, okay, fair point. I want to finish with the news about the 200th episode of Gareth Jones on Speed. But before that, there's something, the elephant in the room that we haven't mentioned for this entire show, boys, you realise? Is your pet elephant. Come over here, Jumbo! <laughs> Say hello to... <laughs> not that. No, the fact that in two years' time, returning to Formula One, McLaren Honda. How exciting is that? Oh, I'd forgotten yeah. we hadn't mentioned that. Yeah, there yeah, we that, go. that yeah. is pretty exciting. You think about it, there's been a swap here. Do you remember when the team that is now Mercedes used to be Honda and the team that is now McLaren that has Mercedes engines is going to be McLaren Honda? There's been a swap of engines there, mm. a swap of culture, bizarrely. They could have saved an awful lot of trouble, Honda, by just staying with Braun. Do you know what, it? though? I know everyone says, and rightly so, the last time Honda and McLaren were together, you know, you think of those Marlboro Liberty cars and Prost and Senna, and it was a golden time for McLaren. Great years weren't and, they great? Yeah. And I agree, and I'm old enough to remember that, as I'm sure a lot of us are, but I also think about the Honda F1 team and how crap they were. <laughs> and so I don't think it's a done deal that they're going to come back and it'd be as glorious as it was in 1989 or whatever. But yeah. Yeah, past successes are not a guarantee of... Uh, success in the future. Yeah, Williams oh. syndrome, really. Yeah. yeah, you could argue that McLaren are the most underperforming team in Formula One this side of Williams at the moment because they've got the Mercedes engine, which, as we've seen today, works rather well in the Force India. And in a Williams next year, which is insane, a Williams Mercedes. And so it seems that McLaren can't build a car as good as their engine. So the Honda engine will have to be better than the Mercedes. Sorry, not engine, power unit. 
because it has energy recovery, not curves, energy recovery. So heat and kinetic energy and electrical energy. It will have to be better than the Mercedes block to make McLaren competitive again. They've got a huge hill to climb, haven't they? Relative to what you expect that team to achieve, they're certainly underperforming. But I have faith in them. I don't think they're going to continue to underperform year after year. I had faith that George Michael wouldn't fall out of a car at 70 miles per hour, but how wrong was I? You've got to have faith. <laughs> Sorry, boys. Doesn't Mercedes Williams sound like a forgotten member of Destiny's Child? A <laughs> <laughs> Mercedes Williams sounds almost as bonkers as a Ferrari Renault. Do you know what I mean? It's all changed. Toro Rosso going to have Renault engines. Basically, Renault are getting out of Williams, I think, aren't they? They think we'll be better off with Toro Rosso. We've got to be. Unusual times ahead. And that much is certain, because this... As being Gareth Jones on Speed, as you know, episode 199. And the fact that we've been doing this programme for nine, I was going to say seasons, but I shall say series for Richard's benefit. The fact that we've been doing it for that long and have got to episode 200 is a remarkable achievement when you're considering that, you know, it's made by a bunch of hooligans in a living room in North London. And so we're going to celebrate the 200th show by going live. Richard, tell him the date because I can't remember. We agreed oh, it God, I can't God. remember either. What <laughs> June the 9th. June the 9th. It's the day of the Canadian Grand Prix. So if you're in the UK, the race is on at 7 o'clock. And after the race, we're going to be doing a live podcast. <laughs> which given the amount of ed- 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 editing that Gareth does to uh, <laughs> remove libelous remarks and bleep swearing and stuttering and uh, awkward pauses and the like yeah and factual inaccuracies of such magnitude yeah, that they cannot a, be allowed to pass this is all it's going to be an interesting exercise on a pedantic note is it a live podcast it's a live stream it's a live yeah, event I it's I think not going a podcast to your iPod, by definition is, is something that you're downloading yeah. rather than streaming yeah, yeah. so I think it will be a live audio event and it will be available as a regular podcast not immediately afterwards but within a yeah, day so it's going to be yeah, the yeah, that yeah, possible yeah, yeah. anything is possible all hell could break loose but most of all we need you guys to take part in this show so the place to go is this www.ustream.tv forward slash channel forward slash Gareth Jones TV if you want that address again in easy to remember form go to my website Gareth Jones dot tv and we'll have it there or go to shootthatcamel.com where zog will post it on his website or go to smithpetrol.com where richard will post it as well yes please go to ustream follow that channel and retweet the heck out of this tell all your pals because we want to be able to interact with you live on the show you basically set the agenda you tell us what to talk about and ask us questions and we will answer we'll also have a couple of surprises and some tunes Oh dear, what have we done? You've been listening to Gareth Jones on Speed. He was Richard. Goodbye. He was Zog. Goodbye. Guys, see you for the next episode, which will be live. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, bloody. And you guys better be there as well. I'm going to leave you with a tune. This one is in the style of yodeling cowboy Chris Isaac. And it's about another lone cowboy in Formula One. Enjoy. When we first met, I must admit, you were my hero. Larger than life, and sponsored mainly by lager. But soon I came to know you like no other. 
call me Ralph, I called you Mike, you were my brother. That silver stone you had, let's say a setback. You streaked away and went at it like a terrier. I'd always be proud, but just like the crowd, we couldn't have been happier. And I admit, I too had to laugh when you struck the barrier. Despite those graces and 
send us emails, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, find out about advertising on the show, and now discover our new Ustream channel, please go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made by Whizbang.